Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Sugar 23, I'm Angela Ledgerwood, and this is Lit Up. This week, we're bringing you another favorite episode from the archives with the quintessential New Yorker, Parker Posey. I've chosen to bring this one to your ears this week because if you're like me, you've been pining for the time before COVID. People were happy and engaged and you saw crazy, wonderful things happen on the street. And I feel like Parker Posey brings that back, particularly for New Yorkers who might have seen her crossing the street in a turban or walking around the East Village with her little dog, Gracie. In this conversation, we talk about her memoir from 2019, You're on an Airplane. We talk about her creative process, her art, how she prepares for roles in films such as Best in Show and Waiting for Guffman. She's had an extraordinary life. I think you'll be able to hear just what a character she is and how she's really forged a career based on integrity. I hope you enjoy this episode. Oh my gosh. Okay. We'll cut out these crazy ladies out there. Was Gracie in your lap for a lot of it? A lot of it. A lot of it. Yeah. And she's, um, Gracie was to me, you know, a, a Jiminy Cricket, a, a, a sweet companion, you know, on the journey of, of, of this book. And the kind of, you know, wonder and love that you get when, when you look at dogs and, and the devotion that they give to you and the, the wonder of, of animals and of, and of nature. And I didn't expect that to come, you know, to be so much a part of, of the book, but, um, but it did. It was, uh, um, I'm just coming out of it. You know, every, the publishing world, it goes very quickly. At least it did with me in this. Mm-hmm. I spent like two and a half years working on it and I shot Lost in Space for almost eight months. And then um, my editor, my first editor left. They closed the imprint. I got a new editor and it's just been nonstop. So I'm still kind of, I'm just coming out of the woodwork and able to converse with people, which feels like, a, you know, a miracle that I can carry a conversation and, <laughs> and make sense. But I'm, yeah, I'm coming back, you know, because it is a, um, a real journey into your psyche and into a space that's, and it's very solitary and, and, and lonely. And, um, but I started reading again and <clears throat> the Elena Ferrante books. Have mm. you read those? Yeah. I love, I love them so much. 
So I'm on the second one. Um, but as I was approaching uh, the deadline, I had three trips for Lost in Space and uh, to do press and one to Comic-Con in Mexico City. And I was really looking forward to having the book to get a perspective of it, mm-hmm. to make it lighter, to make it funnier, to um, see what it was for me, what kind of hole that, you know. And my editor, Jill, was really great in the, in the in, in initial structuring my second editor, you know, editing was rewriting. Like you'd get something back and it'd be like, it's, it's a lot of work, but once it just kind of a rock rolling down a hill and you just like start, you know, you just go with it. So Gracie uh, developed uh, what I thought was a, a neurological disorder and she, did, she does have dementia. Mm. Um, she, and she was uh, showing signs of it and like walking around the apartment at night, confusing day for night. Oh. And... Um, crawling up and down my body and scratching my face and trying to talk to me as as um, I was approaching this, you know, the deadline and and um, I was sleep deprived and was like, oh my god, like if this mirror for this book is gonna be the death of my little friend, you know, this this being that has that has helped me and been with me for almost 15 years. I don't know if I can handle it. I wrote a book, she's on my lap, and I don't know if I'll be able to record this if this happens, but of course you go like, yes, I will. And then another part of your your brain and your psyche yeah. start to work to create that fantasy and be like, how would that look surviving it? And then be like, no, that's not what's really going on. Stop creating it, you know, be here now. Um, Because the creative process, when I was writing, I found myself like believing things that, you know, my old self would be more like, that's absurd to believe, you know, like I saw this play at the public about this writer from Rolling Stone magazine. And it took place in the 70s. But I had this, I was like, wow, he was great. And I was like, no, that's not really that guy. He's an actor playing that guy. But it, luckily I was with my friend Tanya Hurley, who's a young adult novelist. And and um, she was giving me Tiger Bomb for uh, mm-hmm. headaches, which I that's something that I learned from writing, that Tiger Bomb works for headaches. I didn't know that. So she... Um, just that that space. So anyway, Gracie's fine, um, and she's um, yeah, she's she's uh, she's at home right now, and she's doing well. I mean, she makes a big, you know, she shows up in the book a lot. She's she did some modeling and um, made she her own wigs. And did you like her work in the book? Do you I think loved she's her a, work. Um, I'll and tell I also, her when I go once home. I heard about. Um, what the psychic said about her past lives. <laughs> so once I knew she was a seven-year-old English girl, I was hoping she would come so we could have cucumber sandwiches and I could impress her with a fairy tale. Well, she would love you. And she would, you know, she would sit next to you and she'd put her paw on you. And, yeah, she's um, she's really special. That's a funny story. I mean... I can't believe that happened. Um, Can you tell the story a little bit again? Because I just imagine you running into a very proper, you know, woman. Yeah. Kind of, uh, yeah. Almost like Upper East Side style lady. Uh-huh. Who you never expect to say that she has, 
you know, yeah, it was a dog the, psychic on speed dial. It was out the side of her mouth. Um, she's like, um, she's holding her dog. And I see that she's really sad. And, but she's also kind of mystified. And she'd taken her dog, Bitsy, I think. I don't use the real names dog in the book. Um, she'd taken Bitsy to uh, her vet and the vet um, didn't diagnose what, what was wrong with Bitsy, but she got a name of a pet psychic who did. And so I said, I have to, I have to meet this pet psychic. And this is, it was Christmas time. I went, and this is what I want for Christmas. And so Claire, the pet psychic came over and immediately she started taking on the, uh, the traits of, of, of Gracie. And she started licking her lips and, and moving her jaw around. And she said, she's going to have a teeth problem. And that, um, you know what she really loves is um, peppermint. Do you ever give her peppermint? And I was like, um, yeah. And she's also been, uh, since she was a puppy, chewing gum on the sidewalks of New York and getting into pe- my friend's purses and chewing their mint gum. And I take her to Sundays and Cones where I get mint ice cream and she, I give, give her a dollop of, of my own ice cream. And she, she's like, just a little piece of candy cane. It was Christmas time, so I even had that candy cane, and she just went crazy. She went on her, you know, she got up on her feet, her paws, and started doing circus when she would do this, like, walk on her hind legs and look like a circus dog is going to, you know, with a ball in the air. Um, but, yeah, there was nothing wrong with Gracie. She has... Um, just very proper manners. She, when she barks, when someone comes over and when she, she's not being rude, she wants you to sit down. She wants you to sit down. Um, and, uh, cause she was an English girl, a seven year old English girl in her, she's, there's an English, seven year old English girl trapped in her body. <laughs> so when friends come over, <laughs> you have to sit down and Gracie can greet you properly. And she puts a paw on their knee and, you know, it's, it's tea time, time for crumpets. And, uh, yeah, so that's one of my entertaining stories. I, I wanted to be entertaining in this book. I didn't, I entertained myself and that, that's what was interesting. You know, like, there's not a lot of great roles out there now. There's lots of, like, you know, really tough action kind of people, you know, cops and, you know, it's just, superhero stuff and not a lot of roles like in the independent movies that I did in the 90s. So, um, Do you feel that's changing now with kind of Me Too stuff? No. no. I know. I, I, <laughs> like what are my big questions? Was, you, you no, write, I don't. You know, <laughs> you write about femininity a lot and, um, you know, why is why have we diminished the feminine? And I why wondered... Why is it going on? I don't know. And I just had this hope that maybe when you wrote that sentence, it was the before mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. we feel like the after. But does it feel like that from the inside? No. No. I mean, you know, femininity is not um, things that are of issue, right? It's not, it's to not categorize. Mm -hmm. It's to not be on this side of the fence or that side of the fence. I think 
the femininity is like inclusive yeah, it's storytelling. For it's for everyone. I mean, I'm sure for so many actors, like the reason you get into it, is it to experience these extreme emotions that you can't experience elsewhere? Or what was the impulse? It's the, um, uh, it's the story and the desire to create, to be empathetic. You know, to be interested in someone else and to think, like, where where is their heart? What do they feel? How do they feel? What um, what was their past? What Who were their parents? You know, um, you know, like Chekhov plays. Mm. Like, I love that. Like, I love great writing. So that's. That's what I. That's what it attracts me to um, to want to act. Um, now the the Marvel movies and this um, remove from the personal and and our interest in in looking at actors portraying human beings um, outside of history, mm-hmm. and we we hardly ever see that those kinds of movies anymore. It's that aren't historical, right? But why do why is that happening? Why is that plastic? You know that in, to me, it's like the desire to inflate. You know, mm-hmm. people want to see something that's inflated, that's strong, that's like can survive, and that and that and then kids love it too. Just it, it's so strange. Like there's something. I feel like an old lady. You know, like. I look at Pixar and, and I'm like, wow, that, that looks sharp. You know, those lines are really strong. They're kind of, it's too bright. It's too loud. You know, it's, it's not lo-fi. That's why I think there's the rise in these podcasts. Yeah. You know? And it sounds like the, it's all, it is about power instead of nuance. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like I'm just thinking, I'd love... Throughout the book, you talk about your relationship with Nora Ephron. Yeah. And I feel that that has such a magic to it, but that she understood almost as an older woman, it was almost like she knew what you were going to go through. Oh, my God. I mean, I can't. It's been, yeah, I'm getting emotional. (laughs) Um... Yeah, you know, that's what was so, um, yeah, she did. She knew, and she had such an amazing strength and um, heart and wit and all those things. Um, I had something really cool happen when I was recording the audiobook. Um, I found uh, a, a Karen, is the producer of the audio, there was a ticket stub and from a pass to get into Penguin where we were having lunch. And um, it was from Delia Efron in the last time that she was in that room, and, which was a year ago. And it was right before I read the chapter about Nora. And it was just this wild synchronicity, right? That feels like I feel so blessed to... Um, have had these great teachers and, you know, mentors, and they're very much alive in me. And now, and, and I can share, you know, what they've, what they've taught me in this Mildred too, and Mildred oh, yes. Newman, my, uh, who was 
Nora Ephron's psychoanalyst, and then she was mine as well. And there's, I've forgotten, you know, some of those um, words of advice. And, the, you know, there, there's many of them that, that keep, that, I, that I've never forgotten. But then there are more that, like, I'm like, I'm going to use that for the next book. <clears throat> when I'm on a, when I, <laughs> you're on another flight. Well, could you, I have the letter that she wrote for you uh-huh. printed. Can you uh-huh. read it? I don't want you, it's just that bit. Because in the book, I just wanted to know kind of the context of how you received that letter. And <clears throat> um, the one where um, Nora says, you know, from your mother. Right. When... I don't remember. Um, don't yeah, know. I was in my apartment on, in, 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 the, uh, in the Gold Coast. Um, and it was after, um, after it, I, I had, had lunch with her. Um, but, you know, I, I'm really, I'm, just, I'm also just creating that. Like, it, it was this... It, it was it was around that time. Mm-hmm. It was it, it was around that time. Um, and this was all this was all that she sent to me. Yeah, yeah. just that little. Yeah, yeah. Dear Parker, I love watching your life from the middle distance. No one has a career like yours, and though I understand, it makes for moments that have to feel less than secure. It also means you have so many things that you never would have done if your life were more conventional. Love, your mother. That's my impersonation. I loved the way she talked. It was so sharp. Um... She was just so funny too. Um, I feel like I was, she I was knew. I feel like she. I mean, that letter is just knowing what every every child needs or wants or wishes their parent to say to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't. Um, yeah, having someone understand. I mean, language is such a tool, and we go through these feelings, and we did. Sometimes we don't know. We can't define them for ourselves. And when you have a, a mother figure to, you know, that, that defines it or a, a teacher that, that gives you the right words, you just, it's such a relief, you know? And you're no longer lost. You're found. You're caught. You know, you get caught for a moment. You feel that hug, you know, you feel that support. And um, it is really hard to, to live a life you know, and like Mildred would say, it takes courage to live a life. And it's not something just to be blasé about, mm. you know? It's like, and I feel like we, we don't know that we, have, we really have to have that. We really have to take it, you know? I've been watching um, the Joseph Campbell, Bill Moyers, The Power of Myth on Netflix. I'm loving it. I hadn't seen it since 1988. And um, that was really inspired me in in in, in high school, um, but um, there was a I was uh, my friend Kevin read read the book and he was started laughing. He goes, "Do you remember 
the story about Nora that I told you about when she was working on some film that, that Kevin knew because he knew someone in art department. And um, <laughs> there was a, an art director, a man, who was undermining her choices in whatever movie that she was, that she was doing. And they were on location. And um, my friend Kevin, his friend, was the witness to, to, this, um, to this scene. Um, and she brings the man in and she fires him. And, and he says, I, ca I can't believe you're doing this. I came all the way out from, you know, away from home to be here. And you, and you, you stabbed me in the back. I, I, I can't believe you, you stabbed me in the back. And, and she said, I didn't stab you in the back. I front stabbed you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's make no bones about it. People come for you, you know? And I write about that too in the book and that the advice that, you know, Mildred gives us like, you have to discern. You can't not have your a blade out to the people that come for you and try to mess up your art mm -hmm. and what you want to make, who resent you, who are envious. You know, and it takes courage. It takes courage. The subtle undermining of around people who, who want to make things, you know, it's. Um, it also seems there's an undercurrent in the book, which I understand a little bit about L.A. and this business from dabbling, you know, having friends in and out. And I loved it when you say that it's almost like you can't be real. Once you start to be real. <laughs> it's over. It's over. You or might as well have taken like your clothes yeah. off, you know? And once just... you've told the truth at a party to an, even like when you say to your agent, when he's like, oh, Jer what is his name? Jeremy Renner. I was uh, on the phone with my manager at the time and um, he was trying to encourage me. And he said, well, just look at Jeremy Renner's career. He, he, he didn't start working until he was in his 40s. And I was like, I know, but he's a man. I'm not a man. And I was like, I just sobbing. And then it was just so absurd because, like, didn't my manager know that? <laughs> And there's almost a penny dropped. And he was a penny dropped. Yeah, it was like, don't, don't, don't. Well, you know, <laughs> and it's funny as a story, but I mean, it was, it was like, yeah. Um, but uh, it was, I loved writing about Hollywood in my, in my time there. I had a really fun time, um, you know, because I had funny stories. Well, and they're the things that I think you mentioned that, you know, the when the worst things happen to you. Yeah. After the fact, they're excellent stories. That's right. But when you're going through them, you, you know, you just have to survive. Yeah. There's also another point in the book that made me so angry on your behalf. But when you'd been in a play, like a, a Broadway play, I think, that had had rave reviews in the no, Times. No, I was in a play that oh. was moving to Broadway. Oh. And it was off-Broadway. And, um, and then they... Um, they recast it with uh, bigger names. Even though you had just been 
I got hailed. A, yeah, as, I, as I got Birmingham. I got a great review. Yeah, in the Times, I got singled out, and and that this that has an inflation problem too. That's inflating, you know, cartoons and turning musicals that based on movies, and you know, it just feels like the the soul of the the and the essence of the writer and of the story, you know, the personal is just getting less. It's like, you know, I mean, Tr- Tracy Letts in August Osage County, right? Like, and these, these, these plays that, you know, are, are personal. I've seen a lot of that. They're just harder to come by because I think it's more of a producer's medium. And um, the arts are suffering. It's not the time for the arts in America. It's not... And it's not an artful time. It's a dark time. It's a um, it's a new time. You know, we have these new screens. We're adjusting to all this information and all this speed. Now we have to make things to slow down. You know, that's what's so great about these podcasts that mm. that people are making and the conversations that people that you get to have i mean how enriching is that that's yeah, very it's enri- not it's, it's very enriching and it's slow I yeah love that. yeah 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 <laughs> that it's just being mm-hmm. and also like the process of reading is slow yeah yeah but we're all losing our concentration mm-hmm. you know me too mm-hmm. so it's good to you know, decide to go read a book on paper, not my iPad, you know, because I think I'm, we all try to make things so convenient. But who said convenience would make us happy? That's right. Yeah, and like, it doesn't. It's the effort. So there's a beautiful passage in the book that I loved that, and I'll read it. It's, do you think that in another time people enjoyed each other more? Maybe they thought that death was more impending than we do. (laughs) But it's all about this kind of collective, like are we not, how we're not present anymore. And maybe they knew, I think in the passage you're really talking about, like maybe they knew that we were dying more than we acknowledge that we're dying every day. Because we have these things that are distracting us from, you know, that awareness of, that we are gonna, we are gonna die, and anything could happen at any moment. There's a lot, you know. We're dealing with the our, the magazines that people are creating out of their lives and showing each other, you know, with the Facebooks and the Insta, you know, Instagrams and this this other material that is distracting us from connecting in present, yeah. real time reality. And I do. I, I, those are the, that question I was, um, that, that you quote, like when I was in Vancouver, I, it's a very generation X thing, you know? Um, and like when I was a 15 year old, it's the same kind of like, you know, yearning for connection that I think teenagers, at least I did when I was 15 had. And do teenagers now have that at 15? Or do they feel just so alone and scared of the guns at school? You know, like, I, 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 hope, I hope it's okay, you know? It makes me nervous, um, the teenagers and, and kids and how I hope, I pray they're connected and they're connecting, you know? 
book, you kind of did this one, I mean, chapter, I guess we would call it, where you write about the the sun salutation mm-hmm. series. And it was so interesting because I love yoga too and it's mm-hmm. almost like the thing I do to self-soothe and all those things. <clears throat> but I had such a gorgeous time reading it and I got a lot out of it. Oh, I'm so glad. It felt like doing yoga. Oh, good. Reading, you explain it. Oh, I'm so it. glad. And if only you could see Parker now <laughs> doing some. <laughs> a sun salutation. Yes. Yeah, that was fun to write. Um, and then I have those pictures too, as if I'm on an airplane um, next to you. Um, originally, I wanted to, this, the book to be more how-to, and I love that space of, you know, the in-between mm-hmm. when you're on a plane and those workbooks that, that you know, how to make a table or like my Uncle Mark can make a barbecue pit out of a garbage can and he did in the 70s and I would love to show that. I think when you look at things, how they're placed together and how they're made, it gives a real sense of like security mm-hmm. and um, groundedness. And so I was glad I got to 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 write about pottery and, 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 and yoga. That was a big, it's kind of the, the start of the book of, of writing were those chapters about the pottery chapter. I love books about craft and I love, you know, like there was this book and I loaned it to someone called The Knotted Arts. And there's all these like weaving women and this black and white book oh. that's so wonderful. And they're just like, they're in the knots and they're in the thing. And I just, there's something so fun and about that and um, casting myself in photographs as that kind of, you know, part. Did the stories come and then you made the collages around them or was it? It was always like I knew I I didn't want, I I wanted pictures because I thought they would be entertaining. And, um, and I had a real, desire to you know to make them but but the book really started too with trying to cast myself create a new position for myself so if I wrote something that in this kind of you know a book about um, my life and the characters the people that I've met and I played with persona and I made it entertaining maybe I could go to different theaters all over the country and people could come to these theaters and I could have like a really mellow karaoke party. I could make the Nani cocktail. People could be me. I could film them with the iPhones and I can direct them and be like an acting coach and try to get them to feel what it's like being an actor and because I had some incredible acting teachers at SUNY Purchase. I mean, I had a woman, a teacher, that pulled a student down from a chair and screamed at her and, like, threw her down physically. It was like, I just say the line, mean it, where are you? You know, like, it was passionate, and it was, that was, that was a real crazy moment. Um, she was a great teacher, but there's this... Um, uh, how we connect, um, how we read, you know, if we read the empathy and the acting. And it was like, oh, yeah, I could actually be an acting teacher and go on the road into these 
into these communities. We could prep, we could get them, you know, people to sign up and, and, um, cause I think people are looking for, um, experiences like, like that. And I think they need them. Um, like sleep no more, you know, there was this, all this fear of missing out. It's like, I want to see sleep no more. I saw it four times and, you know, they want to experience something that they, that they haven't before. So to create, um, you know, a room for people to go into and like scream and, you know, I like, would sign up in a heartbeat. <laughs> like a plastic, you know, rubber bats, um, yeah, different uh, social, you know, I don't know, exercises. I thought it would be fun. But to, to, you know, to bring the audience onto the stage, I think that's what's really happening. There's not a lot of separation between the audience and the stage. They're like, people are like, get me up on that stage, you know? Um, don't want it to be a lot of people, but, and I don't want anyone to, to sit in the audience. I want it, everyone should just be on the stage and it's like, you know, <clears throat> it's just funny to think about it. So like culty, you know, like a cult leader or something. Um. <laughs> I went to a Miranda July show that was all audience participation. Oh, really? Oh, cool. It was really interesting at the, at BAM and... It was excellent. I think she'd only done it a couple of times. Like she did it five times in LA maybe and five times in New York. <clears throat> I reached out to her not too long ago. Well, I think it was before I started writing. I don't know what it, I wanted, I just wanted to meet her, I think. I'd never, I didn't know that she did things like that. I had no idea. I think I can imagine something yeah. together. I did. Wanna, I read one of her stories yeah. for Selected Shorts oh. and I loved it. I loved it. Because I do love like being, reading the book and yes, you're like, we're on an airplane and we are next to you. But I haven't read something where I felt so close to someone, well, you know, like a famous person who's writing a memoir. They never feel like, you you wanted us to be right there yeah instead of it at arm's distance and i don't know that feels quite i have rare. such a like desire to um well i talk about it and you know christopher guest told me years ago i was like i think i want to i, I want to write something i don't know what i want to do but i know i want to write something i this was in the 90s you know he said you should write about being a twin and so i'd save the twin chapter for the for the end, because I didn't know, I didn't know how I was going to get into it. And um, what happened was, I got into the airplane, and I'm looking through the Sky Mall catalog, and talking about my brother. And that to me was so intimate. You know, I got back on the plane. I'm not, you know, telling a story. Um, this is something I want to get for my brother. Um, you know, this John Lemon t-shirt and these like silly things are in those Skyball catalogs. And then at the end I was like, uh, I make a, you know, I was, it was this discoveries that I make a twin for myself when I play a role. And then I sent the book to Chris and he told me to write a, I should write about tw being a twin. 
because it's fascinating. And um, a book is a twin. So that intimacy for me and the process of writing was very much about twinning and um, creating the other. And so being a twin, the other comes alive more inside yourself in your um, encounters. That's kind of the pain or the loneliness of being a twin. And um, that's why I'm an actor. That's why, that's why I could write, that's why I could act. Is that like, at least that's what I credit it with, just uh, besides having like really entertaining parents and family and stuff like that. But um, yeah, that, um, I'm glad you say that. That's what I, I, I wanted, I, I wanted it to feel like, um, like you were really listening to me. Yeah. Not because I had anything to say. I, I say some boring things and it's pretty like, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not, it's, you know, it's more the experience of being an actor, right? Well, I love it. And, it's and spending you, time together. Like, yeah. that's what your book is. It's just, it's like spending time together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's, you do this, you know, and we tell these stories and then you tell those other stories. And then, whoa, how did we get somewhere really dark and deep from being just, and that's what it's like when, like you said, when your friends stay a few days. Mm-hmm. And even when you're on an airplane, you know, it's, a, it's an emotional place, yeah. right? Like oh my gosh, you can yeah. talk to your, your, the, the, the person next to you, but inside the dialogue that you're having can be very emotional. And, and um, I do my best crying on planes. Lots of people do. I'm, I have so many stories involving crying in airports and plane rides. Because it is, it is a certain kind of space. So writing in that, I think, created a more, you know, that kind of an, yeah. an intimacy. I don't know. And, and, and a sadness. And um, I, don't th- I don't think it's that dark. I, I think it plays with, dar- no, with dark and light. No, it's not dark. It's, 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 it's all of it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You know, like I come from storytellers. Southerners are, are, um, they demand a stage when they tell a story, and I grew up around that. You know, my my grandmothers, my um, my parents were very entertaining, um, and I'm so. I mean, they really they're loving the book, and I'm so glad. I mean, I think every um, actor and artist, to an extent, is like. My parents gonna be happy? Are they gonna be proud? I'm a grown woman. I well, say it that. It never goes away. Do you know what I mean? It never, it never goes away. And yeah, I am. It's very simple, right? The the reach for the mother and the mothers that appear. And I, I've, the process of writing, I, I just felt so blessed, you know, because I got to see the order. In, in the in the chaos that how things felt and then how they how they come around mm-hmm. and how they um, illuminate and um, but yeah there is you know some stars like to in, you know be stars and and enjoy like the kind of intimidation you know 
and power oh, that yes. they they get into that, you know, and they're fascinating, and it and it and it doesn't make them bad people. It makes them bad. It makes them good at business, you know. It's like the business of being a movie star is. Um, you have to handle a lot. And these like stars that can do it, like, um, I mean, Angelina Jolie, like, wow, look at what you carry. Look at what you handle. It's, it's, it's amazing. I was, um, the illustrator, Jess Rotter, who worked on this, on the book, um, she's best friends with Natalie Portman. And we drove to Natalie's house and I hear this like, shout what I hear is what I thought was Jess's name and I'm like we're over here and it's Angelina Jolie and she's there with her kids and these like big dogs these Rottweilers and she's so unusual looking and so her presence is so like alien right I don't feel like a movie star is what I'm saying I don't I don't have that power. I don't have I that get capacity. The sense that you choose. I mean, I don't have that capacity. I don't. It's not what I you can't. Want. I could never do it. I could never. I could never it carry all exhausting. that. Sounds exhausting. I think you'd have no. to want it, or you think that they've. It's just quite. It's a different type of personality, or it's. It, they're they're like kings and queens. Mm. It's just that simple, right? Like. She is a queen and Natalie Portman is a princess and they have, you know, domains and they carry this thing and they carry their lives, the business of being a star and what that, what you have to be up for to do it, Mm. you know? And in the book, when I say that, you know, Demi Moore, when I worked with her, she's like, you got to pay the devil, you know? And she was like this, she was like, Kitty from Gunsmoke, you know, she's like such a cowgirl and a great beauty and a great like sense of humor and someone who's really um, lived by her passions, Mm -hmm. you know. I think that's part of what um, people like about movie stars, you know, they seem so so reckless. They do. They really live, like don't we all want to have passion and emotion and love and sometimes I think in real life what is with people who are so cautious with their hearts or with their feelings why are people cautious I feel that I mean I understand why because we get beaten you know and we get our histories kind of play out and it's hard to go through these things again Mm -hmm. But I think some people are more courageous or willing to kind of have that those extremes of feeling more than others, like for better or worse. It's interesting that you think of it as like, you look at it like, I don't know if power is the right word, but as a strength. But actually when you're a feeling passionate person, it's very vulnerable. Mm, yeah. Because you're, they're just these feelings, you know, that are, um, and it's the unknown. Yeah. It's the unknown. And that's what I think is so, um, I think that's 
I think that's the word, you know, huh. to go into those spaces and and it's what actors do. They create the known in the unknown fiction and they they paint with their impressions of their families and whoever is inspiring them and testing them. How do you recover from that? Like I'm thinking of the scene in Louis where you play the bipolar woman and to be manic in kind of that full bloom and then capture the sadness. I mean, how do you prepare for that? How do you recover from that? Well, that was really hard because I write, write about it in the book because he, I die. Um, but, you know, I thought I would be playing a free spirit my whole career. I don't, um, you know, these labels of these, all these, you know, SSRIs that we have, like neurotic, she's a manic pixie girl, she's bipolar, she's, you know, I think that's what inhibits people with their feelings mm-hmm. is being judged and being called something and being categorized as something. And the real danger we have is freedom and allowing ourselves to be free and to express. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, what I wor- that's what I worry about. Not that I can do, you know, it was one of the desires to, you know, to write. It's just simply to express, but um, yeah, there's something that's really heartbreaking about acting. Um, Cause you do get close to these characters and you, you build you know, a, a role for your, you know, a, a part of yourself. You're, you're having a, it's like you create an imaginary friend and then you say goodbye to the imaginary friend and, and it's all over. Um, but I'm, I'm so, I'm looking forward to going back to Lost in Space because that's a great part. I love the part of Dr. Smith so much. Um, I don't think you do let go, you know? I don't, you don't, really get over your feelings and your experiences. I like that. <laughs> That's like, it's naive to think. I know. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, you know what? I never really got over that. And it's, it's I never got over that thing either. And I never got over that. And then you're just like, oh, that's part, it's all part of what moved me. And, and it's a human thing. It's very human to not get over the, the things that move you and they, and they shouldn't, you know? <laughs> yeah, why would we? I just feel that there's so much work done to get over things and actually you, you don't just get accept, over them. But you never get it. We could all save a lot of time and money right now. Done. Yeah, and I think when you, when you look at it that way too, you can be in the mystery of it and then you can... Oh, why does those, why does that touch? Why did it touch me in that way? You know, and then we go, you know, it's like the feeling that you get when you go out into nature. You look at flowers that are, you know, in a garden. Like, wow, I I feel healed in mm-hmm. that in that space. You know, you give yourself peace and give yourself space. I'm such a hippie, I guess. <laughs> I mean, did you find 
you mentioned that you you write these stories about Woody Allen and Louis C.K. Was it hard to write those stories in this moment where we're unsure of, not that we're, it just feels like a decision you had to consciously make because they're in the news so much about all this Me Too stuff? I mean, I, I hope I can write about my own experience and my work without feeling like I'm going to be burned at the stake. I hope I can um, talk in, in, a, in a way that, and share in a way that, where I don't feel paranoid, that um, in a call-out culture, and to think that the most mundane things can be twisted and turned, it's... It's a, it's a mean time. We're in a mean time. And, um, but also in a time that is, demands awareness. Um, I mean, working with Louis and, and Woody, those are my, that was my experience. And it was some of the creative ex- most creative experiences that, I, that I've had in my career. And I don't, um, I also think the work is to, is, you know, alchemical to sound like a hippie, but we're supposed to make sense of, of things around. We're supposed to make stories. We're not, we're made to make stories and to make sense of the things that um, are unknown, right? I mean, that's what I love about the Louis chapter is how how Liz goes into, you know, the unknown um, and how it's, you know, she's him and, and, you know, why did he, why did he name me tape recorder? It's fascinating, but it's also, it's about art. It's about the real deal. Mm-hmm. It's about art. We don't have the dialogue for that. That's that's pretty scary. I think that's. Um, but that the Me Too movement has released like so and an unveiled, you know, a systemic problem with power and patriarchy. I mean, it's gotten bad. I, I don't know if it'll get better because of of what's being revealed. I want to make stories where people can relate to characters. We can heal and, and from our own empathy and our own understanding of people's stories. That's, that's it. And, that, and I see such a, such a gap, such a gap that needs to be feel, filled and it's, it's um, and filled, you know. Well, we it need seems to, ex- yeah, yeah exactly like it's not... It's not about power, it's about vulnerability. Like, are we, can we ask? Heart. Yeah, let's all try and be vulnerable. There's strength in vulnerability. Exactly. There may not be power, but there's inner strength and connection. When, you're, when you're vulnerable. Yeah. And eroticism. It's alive. It's real. It's not fake bullshit. Mm-hmm. Why are we so scared of that? I've seen writing just, you know, the scripts and the way independent filmmakers were writing and creating was so 
brilliant and real. And characters were so weird. Like I just was thinking about, because you mentioned Soderbergh in the book a couple of times, like mm-hmm. when I first saw Sex, Lies and Videotapes mm-hmm. and how weird it is, mm-hmm. but so real. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see that movie again. That's a good movie. It also made me think of the trash, you know, when you, there's in the book, you talk about the garbage of the ocean. And it just reminded me of the scene in Sex, Lies and Videotapes where she's sitting on the couch and she's just going, oh, that, you know, what about all the trash in the world? Where does it all go? See, that's, she's very Southern. They're Southern. He's from the South too. And it's a Southern thing. Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. Anyway, I just I want to see that again. I want to see that again. I think I've I've captured you for way too long. Um, I maybe will just end on how fabulous you look in turbans. Thank you. And you and know, why it's you like, why it's, you wrap your head up? Because it's really good for a needed haircut. Is oh. what it's what it's good for, too. And um, also, but also it's that age, like I talk about in the book. It's like. You know, when the older women start to, <laughs> you know, just like wear hats and and wear a turban if you feel like it. And I just love, I'm, I'm an actor, I like those, those props, you know, and um, yeah. I also think it does make people see you more. Like in the book you have, a, it made me laugh. Cause you say, do you have a lover? Well, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> If you put a, if you wrap that head of yours in a turban, they will. And, I, and they're holy, you know, I love that. I love that they've been like, that the whirling dervish wear those cones on their, on their heads and, and other, um, just when I've seen them, you know, seen it in art and stuff. But I also like, I also like how it feels on my head. Have you ever worn, do you wear hats or turbans? Wrap it up. I haven't worn a turban, but I'm... Well, you need, I'm, I'm sorry to. I didn't. I'm sorry I didn't bring an extra headscarf. I usually travel with scarves, and you describe it so beautifully. <laughs> Thank you for our conversation Thank and for you, going sweetie. all Thank over you. the place with Thank it. You. I appreciate it. Yes. Good luck editing. <laughs> 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 Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Parker Posey from 2019. We are taking next week off for Labor Day, but we'll be back September 13th with my conversation with Annie Daly about her book, Destination Wellness. Lit Up is a podcast from Sugar23. It's hosted by me, Angela Ledgewood, and is produced by Liam Billingham. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. The theme music is by Andre Radofsky. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But most importantly, recommend the show to people in your life. Until next time. Bye, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.